right about him. I'm always right. It's like when I'm right, I'm right. And when I'm wrong, I could have been right. So I'm still right because I could have been wrong. That makes sense. Come on. All right, we back. Episode five, which is uh, we've now surpassed for sure what we did the last time we decided to have a podcast. So allegedly, and, and, allegedly. Those, those guess, podcasts are like Wilt Chamberlain's hundred point game. We heard it happen. We just can't see it. Yeah, it's like Babe Ruth. It's an urban legend. Yeah, yeah. Bear and they, hot dogs. He, he, here's the thing: Have you ever seen a video of Babe Ruth hitting a home run? No, you just see pictures of him in the batter's box and afterwards. And honestly speaking, that could have been any chubby white dude. We don't know if those were really Babe Ruth. Like MF Doom, RIP. He could have just put the jersey on and be like, that's Babe Ruth. Who knew? Correct. But anyway, it is uh, episode five. And if this is the first episode that you've listened to, uh, we've started dedicating each episode to a notable athlete, one close to our hearts perhaps, uh, that wore the number of each episode that we run. there's only one number five in my eyes. One? Right. In my eyes. Okay. Um, and th- you should know where this is going. Um, this Got is it. a man who has, I, I, I credit a great deal of my right elbow tendonitis to uh, because I wanted to throw sidearm. He is my favorite athlete of my entire lifetime. He's probably the reason that I love baseball as much as I do. Um, he, his name is synonymous with the Boston accent. (laughs) There were, I remember shirts, you know, there were more shirts that had his nickname on the back than his actual surname. Uh, Mm, okay. And, and, you know, even, even the pronunciation of what number he wore, you had to enunciate that it was number five. (laughs) I, I never heard it not enunciated that way. Correct. And he's the second best shortstop I've ever seen play baseball. You've ever seen? So, like, highlights don't count. No. I'm t- okay. in, in, of my lifetime of being able to be cognizant and watch baseball, he mm-hmm. is the second greatest shortstop I've ever seen behind one Alex Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. Um, his name is Anthony Nomar Garcia Parra. Bang, bang. I bet you mo- most people don't even know his first name is Anthony. Nor that his – that the name Nomar is just his father's name, Ramon, backwards, and that his last name is just the combination of his two parents' last name of Garcia and Para. I'm going to keep it real. First time I ever heard uh, Garcia Para spoken, one, they butchered it because they did not say Garcia Para, probably because they – Garcia Para or something? They probably say Garcia Para because it's Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah. um, that, that sounded like a Papa John's special order. Like I was like, what, what is this? Like, what, what are we talking about here? But no, Nomar is a great pick. Uh, I'm I'm a little perturbed that you said there's only one number five in, in my heart. I I should clarify there there are many great number fives, especially for Boston. That's what I mean though. Like that was like there were, there are many great number fives, okay. but there was only ever one that I was going to choose. Okay, no, I, I respect that you. I know how much you love Nomar. You know I actually love Nomar as well. And it has nothing to do with Mia Ham, even though I also appreciate Mia Ham. It has a lot to do with the fact that I don't think I think that there's certain players who get a raw deal because their bodies failed them. And Nomar is at the top of my list for for that. Like I, I think that Hall of Fames, well, I mean baseball Hall of Fame is just corrupt anyway. But I think Hall of Fames in general, I think they should induct errors. Like I think that they should literally be like from ninety six 
to 2006, these were the best players to do it in the MLB. And you should get some type of recognition for that because he he could do – he was a 5-2 player that never overwhelmed anybody. Like, he wasn't out here hitting – 45 home runs a year he wasn't out here still in 50 bases every year like he wasn't that dude but he was so consistently great at doing everything to me and this is a very unpopular opinion I look at Nomar Garcia Parra the way everybody else because I'm not a fan of this specific player look at Kyle Ripken like to me that Nomar was as good if not better than Kyle Ripken it just so happens Kyle Ripken played every game yeah, and, and you know, and to be fair, there is something to be said. You know, there's a reason that there's a phrase "availability is the best ability." It's why I'll never argue that Nomar had a was a greater player in terms of career legacy than Derek Jeter. But if you ask me, at their peak healthy, who I'm taking? So we 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 define greater because to me, greater and accomplished are two different things. Yeah, I will say the greater overall career. Okay, yeah, yeah. Because then, you know, because it's it's not a fair comparison. No, it's not. It's not at all. You know, Nomar had four years before he got hurt. From his rookie of the year year until the first year he got hurt where he only played 21 games. He had four seasons. But you look at what he did in those four seasons to give you some numbers – he was a 337 hitter. He was hitting about 30 home runs a year, 100 to 120 RBIs, giving you 15 stolen bags, hitting 44 to 50 home runs or doubles a year. Like that dude was a monster while playing gold glove caliber defense. Yeah, the only reason he didn't get the gold was, gloves is because of people you spoke of earlier and Roberto Alomar. Oh, Roberto Alomar, oh my gosh. Or, or no, no I, I'm, I apologize. Not Roberto Alomar, Omar Vizquel. Okay. Roberto, Roberto was, 30, was at second. Right? I think he was at second most of his career. Second. But Roberto Alomar, when he was with the Rangers, was just like. I mean, that, you know, and I, it's always interesting when I think back of Nomar because I can't help but think of one of the great what ifs in baseball, which we may need to at some point revisit some of these stories when we go through our what ifs. Uh, of baseball like we did previously in basketball, Mm -hmm. if the A-Rod trade came to be, the A-Rod to Boston trade. I don't know if you remember the ins and outs of this trade. Listen, I I grew up – I mean, I'm up Philadelphia all day, but I I always have my other teams and I rooted for the Yankees. So I followed – I hate – the only reason, and no offense to you, but the only reason I don't hate the Red Sox still to this day is because of Casey Doolin. She was a Red Sox fan. She died, and then the year after she passed away, they won a goddamn World Series. I was like, I looked up, I was like, Casey, you know I love you too much to get mad right now, but I really want to. Like, I know that was her. Like, if if there is something after that, that was her. So Casey Doolin brought the Red Sox their first championship in way longer than most franchises are in existence. So it's like one of these Wait, are you talking to 04? I thought that was 13. No, it's it's 13, but like that 04 one, I don't don't count that. What about 07? 07, I don't care. I, you know why I don't count those? You know why I don't count those? There was so much PED usage that I'm like, okay, you won. Cool. Like, it, 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 that, oh, that so doesn't you, better are you writing off everyone then? Or 
just the yeah. right okay I'm, I'm right i'm right off everybody who got a, who, who i got i've read off everybody who either admitted or who was in high speculation not the kind of sort of speculation the I mean, 07 like, ones a, is the weird forgotten one among the red sox championships and it's probably uh, okay until 18 it was probably the best of the three teams of 04 13 and 07 it was probably the best actual team if you go back and actually look through it. And, and Terry Francona has always said the best Red Sox team he managed was actually 08 in terms of talent. But then they ran into injuries and all that other stuff. But yeah, like, y'all wasn't, y'all wasn't being us in 08. But I mean, I could say the same thing about the Phillies. The 2009 Phillies and the 2010 Phillies were better than the 08 Phillies that won the World Series. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you just need it to happen at the right time, for sure. Yeah, like, we had Doc Holliday who threw a goddamn – <laughs> like yeah the red sox ran into the hottest team of all time like do you remember that how hot that rockies team got yeah they won yeah, yeah. 21 to 27 to make the playoffs then yeah, they just swept through guys. the playoffs they had an eight-day layoff in, from the nlcs of the world series the red sox had to come back from 3-1 down against the indians back with travis hafner grady sizemore see, but that, and then we what, steamrolled them see but that's also one of those reasons why like i can't say i don't count it I count your two championships before 13. But you it's, not, it's remembered differently. It's, it's not the same to me. Like, to me, that 13 team, like, one, they were lovable, which made me mad. They had a story. They had a story, like, too. Yeah, people, people were rooting so hard for the Red, and it made me It was so a last-paced team. It was a last-paced team. Oh, my team. gosh. Yes, and, and, and like, it, if I didn't hate them so much, or at least try to hate them because, you know, Case, I would have been looking at y'all like, oh, no, this isn't going to work out. But I knew, I knew in my core – Y'all were gonna win something. I was like, either y'all just gonna, either y'all just gonna ball out and win the hearts of everybody, or y'all gonna win a championship. Because it was y'all had. If people don't believe in momentum in sports, go back and look at that season. Yeah, I mean, how many players can you actually name? Do you think from that 2013 Red Sox roster? Because right, by the way, when when I tell you, and this is probably, I mean, obviously anyone that grew up in Boston in 2013, mm-hmm. that that one is very close to our heart, given the the circumstances at the start of the year with the marathon bombing everyone we rallied behind the red sox that's why i felt like a jerk to be mad like i was like because i watched it but i've said this bombing live on tv when i was at work and i was in a break room and i was looking at it and i was like and no lie ivan i'm watching the boston i think i texted you no we didn't know each other yet we didn't know each other yet i I wasn't in college yet you gotta remember that was my senior year of high school yeah, yeah, yeah. I texted. Who did I text from the Massachusetts area? Oh, I, I, texted, I remember. I texted, I texted my homie Ryan Musso, who's from uh, the Massachusetts area. I mean, claim Boston, but not from Boston. He's 45 minutes out. But I remember. Uh, where's I he from? I feel like I actually may have met him at a St. Joe's like recruiting event. Yeah, yeah. You, you probably did. I, I went remember. to some kid's house out in Marshfield, maybe. Marshfield. It, it probably was him. And it was it was literally like St. Joe's like admin recruiting people were there. And you you know what this how this how I knew how regional St. Joe's was. We get in there, there's like six, seven of us that are like incoming freshmen. And they're basically like, Yeah, we just really wanted to get you guys together. Like there's not that many people that aren't from, you know, PA or New Jersey. So we figured we may as well like get everyone that's coming in from Massachusetts. And I was like, there's six of us. Dude, it's crazy because St. Joe's literally was – wait, we're bearing the lead. We're talking about the Boston bombing. Um, so, like, I'm not friends with Ryan anymore, but that was my guy, A1, 
done for a very long time. And I guess it was him that I texted because he's from the Massachusetts area. Um, and well, he's from Massachusetts, not the Massachusetts area. He's from the Boston area. And I just remember like, I, cause I was watching it live and you, you ever watch something and this is, I don't know what it is, Ivan, like my life is so crazy. One day we might get into it on this podcast, but I've seen so many crazy things that the world probably knows about or heard about live. Like I remember where I, I remember watching, there's, it was one TV in the basement of my elementary school and we were walking from lunch and, and I was in sixth grade, we were walking from lunch on our way up. And then we heard this weird alarm going off in our, in our school. We thought it was like the fire alarm or whatever. And the teacher was like, hold on, stop here. Let me see what's going on. And then they made us like, just stay right there. So like we stood right there and it was right in front of the TV. And that's when 9-11 was happening. So I'm like watching this and I'm crying because I think my brother's going to get drafted. I'm a weird kid. I was 11 years old and I knew what a draft was. And I'm like, what the, f- my brother's going to get drafted. And my birthday was like five days before that. But and then, like, with same thing with the Boston. Like, I literally just came into the break room. I took my apron off. This is when I was working at Wegmans. Took my apron off. And I sit down on, like, the second or third table from the TV. And I'm just watching it. And I'm like, oh, shit, the Boston Marathon. What's going on? What's going on? And then I, and then we see everything. And I'm like, and I'm looking around at people because people aren't really reacting the way I'm reacting. I'm like, am I seeing what I think I'm seeing? And then everybody's like, oh, my God. And then they start turning it up. I'm like. And we, none of us went back from break. Like we just stayed there for like an hour or something. And it was, it was surreal. It was absolutely surreal. And, but I'm going to say something that is not fan friendly, but Chris Rock has the best joke about it. Cause you know, I believe that if you can cry about something, you should be able to laugh about it. He said, he said, what type of sick, sadistic person will wait until you've been running for two three, four, some five hours to plant a bomb at the finish line. And then you just hear run. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I remember it. it it's probably one of my more vivid memories um, because for those that don't know, so, so I, I have to kind of preface it with this. Marathon Monday or Patriots Day in Massachusetts is a state holiday. Schools are off. Work is off. It's the third Monday in April every year. That's Marathon Monday. The Red Sox play at 11 a.m. Kind of perfect sequential game ends. They filter out from Fenway basically right by the finish line. Um you know, it's as far as it's as close as you can get to a regional holiday. I mean, it is a regional holiday. It is literally um, a regional holiday. It's literally a regional holiday. People are off. Um, so, but in in by way of that, they also usually lined up our school breaks that we were off that week. So yeah. we would have a week off in February, a week off in April. So I was on Cape Cod, and I have family um, in Florida. They're avid runners, watch marathons. They they love it, and all I remember, you know, I, you got to remember, I'm 17 at the time. My brother's 12. Um, we're, we're down Cape Cod. Like, we're coming back from, like, mini golfing. Like, the most unassuming type of thing <laughs> that you could be doing. And I just remember, like, we pulled in, and it was like, are you okay? And I was like, this is a weird. At, at this point, my, that cousin and I weren't as close as we are now, like, as we've gotten older and been more connected. Mm-hmm. And I was like, it's a weird thing to say. Like, what, what do you mean? 
and then a bomb just went off or bombs just went off at the Boston Marathon finish line. And the first thing in my head is like, okay, my mom works at, it's a cancer hospital, but it's a hospital. Like hundred percent. they yeah. need, they need, she like, she needs to know. She's like, okay, I got to go talk to my mom. My, my brother is 12 years old. He's not going to fully understand. No need to add to any emotional turmoil to his life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm like, okay, mom, I got to talk to you. This happened. And I just remember like, it's the only time my parents have ever said this. They're like, go play video games with your brother. Like just distract him. And it was like, my mom like went to work. Like she's phoning in. He's like, okay, we got to do this and that. And that was one of the most surreal weeks of my life. Because the other thing that's lost, I think a, a little bit, even though it was only eight years ago, they shut down a major city for a week. For a that's insane. That's absolutely insane. I don't think people realize how one rare that is and two, how hard it is to actually do, especially a city like Boston. That isn't like a city where there's major bridges coming in and out of it. Like it's easier to shut down a city, even though like, like I know this might be a bad example, but New York city is way bigger than Boston, but it's a city of bridges. So if you close bridges, it's easier to contain what's already there. Yeah. Boston. I've been to Boston multiple times. You can walk all of Boston. If you just have a day. Yeah. It's a very you can, walkable that means you city. You can hide in Boston all day if you want to. Yeah, and and like it, but it was such a surreal coming together moment of the city. I was like I've never also been prouder of the city at that point. It's like people committed to like it wasn't like cuz I I've always wondered if you were to be like, "Are oh, we going to shut down New York?" I feel like New Yorkers would be like, mm, "No." See, but I I mean, I'm 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 a New York hater. Terrorist but attacks I, are different, though. I, I, no, but I, but I was going to say this. People don't usually become transplants in Boston. That's true. from around somewhere in Massachusetts yeah. or New England. I, I don't really know if a high percentage of people who inhabit New York are New Yorkers or they just live in New York. Like That's, that's definitely fair. Like, that's, that's what I've always said about Boston is that it's a major city with small town feeling. It's Man, still a place... I even yeah, no, here, I know, I know. I, I think there's some truth to that. My lyrics, people. Yeah, no, I, I think Philly's saying, I'm not taking your lyrics, taking but lyrics, I've been saying that since high school. Calm, calm your ass down. But yeah, now, now since high school, this this guy's been in high school for seven years. I feel like every time he brings up something that he did in high school, it's a different year. It's like, yeah, '98. I'm like, '98. Hold on, man. <laughs> no, but yeah, it, it was a weird moment. But yeah, so I I, I went on a tangent there. But what I was getting to with that 2013 Red Sox team, I, my dad and I had tickets for that Saturday game. Mm -hmm. The first game back didn't know that we were going to be able to go because the state was in lockdown for the week. Um, They capture the second brother that Friday night. And for some reason, they thought it'd be a good idea to put on a cover of Rolling Stone, but that's a different conversation. Yeah. Um, like, that's insanity to me. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, that was, like, the next town over from us, like, our hometown, too. Yeah. Like, that, that was a weird before. one that, like, I, I'll, I'll never forget. But I got to go to that game on that Saturday, April 20th, 2013, first game back from the bombing. And, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm showing it. Mm-hmm. I kept everything. The Sports Illustrated cover, the, the ticket stuff. Mm-hmm. And I've said – I don't know that there will ever be a game that I attend in any sport at any time that will be more 
emotionally memorable than that one. And, and you know, it's, you know, one of the things that, that I don't think enough sports people talk about as it relates to those games, specifically after the bombing in Boston, is that it was 12 years from 9-11 when the Yankees came out with George Bush throwing out the first pitch, wearing a bulletproof vest underneath a Yankee coat because we didn't know what the hell was going on. And the fact that, to me, and this is just me talking, I think that, not anymore, no offense, because I think they just play way too much like against each other now, but at the time of the Boston bombing, and especially at the time of 9-11, I thought Boston Yankees were, was the second best rivalry in all of sports, and arguably the first. And, and the fact that these two cities had to endure legitimately, legitimately national tragedies on film while they were trying to actually compete on the field is something that I don't know if we'll – I hope we don't ever see it again. And I don't know if we'll ever see it. Like, I really, really hope not. But I think that's something that people don't link, like how those two rivalries and cities, those two teams and cities are linked forever because you, you can't really articulate that. Like that's, that's some insane stuff to really think about because there's teams who had to deal with regional tragedies. And to me, school shootings are regional tragedies. I know that's not a popular opinion, but like the Marlins dealing with things after, after the school shooting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's just, that's terrible. It's not a national thing. What y'all had to go through, that's insane. Because you have people from all over the world running a race in your city, which is not, you know, people it, it's in like in Boston. the, I don't know, I forget what the exact, but like, you know, how they have grand slams in sports. Mm-hmm. The Boston Marathon is a marathon grand slam. Like, it yeah. is one of the biggest in the world. It's so hard to get into. That's how selective it is. Yeah. Because it's literally for the elite of the elite. And and I have I had a lot of runners in my in my life, and I still have some in my life. And they will tell you, Boston Marathon is by far one, if not two, of the most prestigious races you can run in. Like they don't even care if they win. It's just like those are the ones where it's just like I did that. I was there. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, Heartbreak Hill is is the big calling card in uh, Boston in the Boston Marathon, it's 20 miles from the start, which you got to think about where you're at mentally, 20 miles into a marathon. And then it's a two-kilometer incline. No, I know where I'm at 20 miles in. I'm at home. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm back on the couch. I I agree. But, yeah, anyway, yeah, to to digress way back, because I I don't want to completely hijack um, this episode. As much as I'd like – yeah, go ahead. Can I ask one more thing? Um, before we get off the topic of this, I think it's a topic that, you know, what's weird. I think it's a topic that has kind of gone away and it was only seven, eight and a half yeah. years ago. Eight. Well, yeah, coming up on eight. Yeah. So like, it's wild. So I'm gonna ask you this, and this is a whole different conversation that you can be like, eh, not for the podcast because of what you saw and what you went through and what your area went through. Did that sway your opinion either way in the death penalty? Because he has the death penalty, the younger brother. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting question. So, yes and no um, is the the easy cop-out answer, that there's a little bit of both. Um, actually, no. I, I think overall, no. If anything, it made me believe stronger against the death penalty, and this is why. 
because I don't think I'd ever wanted a single human to suffer more than he did, more than he could. I, I was hoping for, I was like, I am fine with my tax dollars letting him rot away because that's going to be more suffering for him. Mm. I, I said, if you're going to do, like, I want that guy strung up in Boston. You know, if you're going to do death penalty, like, let, like, let the city do the work. Like that, that, like, like, I I don't think I've ever been like that really again. Like, I'm not a very hateful person. Like, you know, you, you know that about me. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't really have much room for hate in my heart, even for like oppositions or foes. Like, you have to do something really fucked up for me to have the level of hate that I have for those guys. See, but I, but I think that that's a little bit of a misnomer because I don't think that you have to be a hateful person to agree that somebody should be gone. And, yeah, no, and I, I wanted I wanted to know that he's suffering. But but I was this this is the other point that I was gonna say. If the death penalty in America wasn't supposed to be painless, then how would you feel about it? Because like that's the whole thing about the death penalty in America. It's no, supposed I want to be him to I want him to sit and think. I think the thoughts are the most dangerous thing to you. Really? They can be. Because I knew people, I've known many people who who are either still in prison or went to prison, and they will say they can lock my body, but they can't. They can't. They can't lock down my soul or my mind. So I'm really free, even though I'm sitting here. Then so I would like, want my. I would. I would pay extra tax dollars for them to figure <laughs> out a way to break him. So you you're gonna pay tax dollars for the waterboarding? Like your waterboarding every Wednesday near lunch? Allegedly. Back to yourself. Allegedly. Yeah. Allegedly. Big time. Allegedly. allegedly. Yeah. No. I. I don't think I've ever had and. and my roommates, when we were watching, because we definitely had that conversation, it was, I think, my sophomore year, and we're watching the, the court proceedings of that he was found guilty of everything, obviously. Um, and, and I think that question was, was, you know, poised to me then, and I, and I think I had the same response. I was like, I, I don't want him to get the easy way out. Because if you let him die a painless death, you know, e- even if he is one of the people that's strong enough to say they can lock my mind, lock my body, but not my mind. I still want him to sit there and think. Mm-hmm. Sit in Supermax, get an hour outside your cell a day. He, he doesn't even, he, he might not even, the, the jail that he's in is the one in, in, in your current state that is the worst prison in all of the country. Yep. Um, it is, it's actually underground. Like you have to go underground to get to it. So like, even if they were quote unquote outside, you're still in darkness for the most part. It's like mm-hmm. where it's where all terrorists go It's where espionage spies goes. I mean, uh, double, double agent espionages go, it goes is where enemy of the States go. It's where gang leaders who are so dangerous that they can't even have contact with anybody outside of their so, lawyer. No, like, I, 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 I'm pretty sure he's in Colorado. Yeah, that's where it's at. It's in Colorado. Because, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's in, like, the super, super, super max. Yeah, it's underground. It's literally, yeah. like, underground. But, you know, like, I'd rather him rot there and me knowing that he's rotting there. See, I, I get weird about it. Like, I am pro-death penalty, but I'm anti-frivolous death penalty. And I know that sounds like an oxymoron, but there's a lot of people who get put to death for things that I don't, I don't think a life or a life automatically gives you death. I don't believe that. I think that there's a lot more people who should be on death row who aren't. Like, I think that if you are a mass rapist, put his ass mm-hmm. on death. Put that person yep. on death row. 
Like, I don't give a fuck. Like you, you, you kill people even though they're alive. Like, cause they have to live with this for forever. I think that if you are a, like you've uh, killed the per- yeah no because I think you could make the argument mm-hmm. that you have killed the person that they were before yes you did. you did what you did to them breathing don't mean that you're living it just means that you're alive that's different you still took away the life that they had exactly and I, I think that there's there's crimes like that that easily to me should be part of death row you know like I, and I'm not saying that we should be Saudi Arabia not records and, and do and yeah and do beheadings and stuff like that but listen I think that. Part of this is going to sound wild as an American. I think that we have so much freedom that people forget they're supposed to be punishment. Mm-hmm. I, I think that, I mean, I, I mean, not to, I, I don't know how much we want to go into this, but since last week that we recorded, you know, that has come up. You talk about, you talk about the enemies of the state, the treasonous, patriots and the people. i am indeed i don't want to refer to them as patriots the treason is patriots i'm not calling them patriots just treasonous I'm, I'm calling them patriots because forever they said that black people weren't patriots when we stood up against um no, immoral, you, immoral they can't actions. be patriots when the group that they're going with is walking around with the flag of a country that fought against the united states of america see see but that but but if that's the case and i see i would agree with you if you're talking about logic None of this stuff is logical. So to yeah, me, you got to throw logic out the door and say that these are the patriots who the world acknowledges patriots because what did they say about Colin Kaepernick? He's not a patriot, right? So if he is giving the most respect to the flag by kneeling, which is what you do when somebody's a fallen soldier, and he's the not a patriot. patriotic thing you could do in that circumstance after which meeting other, with Nate Boyer, a Green Beret, to try and do it in the most respectful way. Exactly. So, so in, in this, this is a stat that blew my mind. And I'm and I mean blew my mind, Ivan. You ready for this? That I don't think you're ready for this, but are you ready? I'm ready for this jelly. Let's go. There has in the history of the US Capitol building, there has never been a Confederate flag inside of it until last week. Yep, I did see that one. That is insanity. And it the Capitol had not been breached since the war of eighteen twelve. In Sanity, and these people were and they, wearing and no, and, and, sweatshirts, and they didn't they were, breach. They walked in. Yeah, they got a, they got escorted in. It's the same way. See, but and that's what I mean by patriotism, and this is what I mean by that because every time predominantly slogan. white, predominantly white groups do anything, or a white person does anything in response to a minoritized thought action or feeling because they were mad that black people voted that's really what they're mad about like oh y'all actually came out and voted same way that dylan roof got burger king before he went to jail Mm -hmm. the same way the kenosha shooter got a water bottle and a Mm -hmm. handshake before he left while he's holding his assault rifle Mm -hmm. that's what this is we we pretend not we as in black people we as america pretend like we don't like we don't have hate we don't have we don't have disgusting actions towards each other when really we usher it in and then we act like we don't see it when it actually happens. Like I saw the, the pictures in the video of them letting them in through the door, pushing the door open, like, oh yeah, here, go this way. I saw the video of them right before that, that the Air Force veteran got shot in her shit. They, the cops literally moved. There was, four, there was th- two to four cops in front of the doors and then the guy was like, yo, just let us in, man. You 
You know what I mean? Like, we're going to get in anyway. You might as well be on the right side of history or some bullshit like that. And they moved. They just walked away. It was like, oh, well, here you go. And then they wanted to go jump in there. And that cop on the other side of the door, one shot, one kill. The way it's supposed to be. And, and it's sad. Like, I'm not necessarily a fan of watching people lose their life. But I watched that video and I was like, like, show me the issue. Like, show me the issue. Like, I've watched since I was a kid people get killed by the hands of the cops unjustly. And you're telling me that this woman had enough balls to try to jump through broken glass to get in to a legitimately unauthorized area for 99.99% of the population and got hit in the neck. And you want me to cry tears And this, and this once again, Ivan, that's why I say Patriot because this is a veteran air force veteran wearing an American book bag. And these are the people who, in which we place our faith in the words of Jay-Z. Somebody was in there wearing an Auschwitz sweatshirt. Camp Auschwitz. Like, and and, and, I saw another one um, that it just had the writing of the number, or maybe S, uh, S, M, W, N, A. Or N-E, sorry, which I've come to learn means six million wasn't enough mm-hmm. or was not enough. It makes me that? sick. It makes me just sad above you know all what? else. It, it does not make me sick because I'm proud to be an American because I've never been, I've never performed shameful acts as an American. That's why I'm proud to be an American. And it's, it's amazing to me that America's the biggest bullies the world has ever known. Like, and I mean as a country, I don't mean as an entity because Hitler probably was the biggest bully the world has ever known. But America as a country, the greatest bullies history of the country, of the world. Yeah. Like, nobody can say anything different. But you know the thing about America, you know one of the reasons why we're bullies? Because we love winning. That's all it is. We love winning. That's what it is. America's about winning. And you got millions of people who literally not only root, represent, posterized with the stuff that they wear and the flags that they fly losers make it make sense to me that that's what i've never understood um all of these statues are of losers they lost i've never understood that with the the arguments of the confederacy never once that's not Uh, american history correct not american history it's no it, it would be the same as me walking around with the British flag and be like, no, this is my heritage. Like this, this is who I identify I, with. I think the, I think the British flag literally is more American than the flag they choose to fly. I agree. Th- their, their flag is one of the ultimate traitor to America. They literally fought in a war against America. They said we are part of America. We no longer want to be part of America. Yes, they fought to be their own thing. And this is with whom you want to place your faith? I put dollars on mine. Ask Columbine. Take your L. It, it, and that's the thing. And I think that white people don't know how to lose. Like, growing up in the hood. And they definitely don't know how to, those, those people, those particular brand of white people, definitely don't know how to lose uh, to anyone who is a minority or anything of that nature. I mean, you know, the, the big thing for me, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts because I can't imagine they'd be much different than mine, um, was the unfortunate 
lack of shock with the comparison of pictures um, of the National Guard on the Capitol steps during Black Lives Matter protests Mm -hmm. that were, by and large, very peaceful um, compared to how it looked last Wednesday. Um, And I I think that was – I think that was probably overall – the worst feeling that I came away with last Wednesday was there were so many ways, so many ways to put into words how I felt, how I reacted to what happened, whether it was, you know, disgusted, ashamed that, you know, this is the perception that we as America are giving to others. But what hurt the most was that I couldn't use the word surprised or shocked. And that do you hurt. know? Do you know why I always say that I'm far more Malcolm X than Martin Luther King Jr.? Do you know why? I don't think you ever told me why. I'll give you the two main reasons as it relates to this conversation. Because if there was any specific group of people in this country who should just be out here looking for blood, it is black people. And historically speaking, we have been the ones singing hymns, creating songs, holding hands, putting together peaceful rallies, and hoping that we can change the hearts of people who obviously don't have hearts. And Malcolm X was like, screw that. You slap me, I slap you back. That's just what it's going to be. Like, I'm not going to be submissive to, and this is not his words, but this is basically the ideology. I'm not going to be submissive to a system who will dominate me over and over and over again and keep their foot on my neck and enjoy the fact that I'm struggling for air. That's why I'm way more Malcolm X. Because these things, think about this, man. All of those people who were there were there because they may have lost an election. We know they definitely did, but in their minds, they may have lost or been robbed of an election, right? They just didn't like the result. They didn't like the results when it was two white men going against each other. Black people have had half a president. Nah, maybe. I think, it, I think we're closer to like a seventh or an eighth. You dig? I mean, we just discussed last podcast who yeah. his cousins with. And, and, and no, no, ooh, that, that's a good teaser. We, we discussed that post show, I think. Ooh, I, I don't think we discussed that on the show. Dun, dun, dun. But yeah, th- th- that's coming at some point. We, we got some political conspiracies, but oh, yeah, continue. I digress. Yeah. And, and, and think about that. These specific group of white people couldn't take possibly losing an election when the most people in the history of the country voted overall. Because we can't ignore the fact that Donald Trump got the second most votes in the history of the election. And the only reason he lost is because Joe Biden won the Electoral College. Not because Joe Biden got the most votes ever, because he did. Because we know that popular vote don't matter. But he got the most votes ever. So in theory, in theory, just saying, and it wasn't by that, I think it was what, 5 million votes or something like that? In a grand scheme? Something like that, yeah. That's not that many in the grand scheme of things. So we have 70 million plus people who believe in Donald Trump. And they couldn't stand the fact that possibly one time in their life they've got cheated. How do you think 
minorities feel in their entire existence in America? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. And, and that's why I, I know we've had this conversation before and you're always very supportive that you can't compare struggle. Not at all. But it's that same for what you just said. That's why I could never compare what feel like a big deal for me. Or, or at least I can reason with the fact that, yeah, I can have a shitty day, right? Mm-hmm. The shit's not going good at work. Mm-hmm. But I'm so glad that with people like you and others that I've had the opportunity to know um, and, and be close with that I've also had the opportunity to understand that I, <laughs> I've never had to worry about being pulled over and losing my life. I've never had to worry about applying for a job and someone think I'm not qualified due to the color of my skin. Yeah. I, I, I deal with plenty of shit in my life. Some of which is self-inflicted, some maybe not, but I've never, and this is what I've come to learn about the term white privilege. Cause I think it gets a bad, I, I think the, the people who are antagonistic about that phrase, they've been misinformed about what it means. White privilege is not that I got a job because I'm white or I got into a certain school because I'm white or I got this or that because I'm white, but I've never been held back from something because of the color of my skin ever. And that's something I've come to realize. And I think that's why, you know, you hear me cause I, I know your history. We don't need to put it all out there, but you know, I had the great opportunity of you walking me around <laughs> North Philadelphia and it was a different world to me. What up, Poppy? <laughs> yeah. What up, Poppy? It, it was a different world to me. And, and, and maybe that's a story for another time on the podcast. We, we can go through that day. There's no, maybe there's a definitely, yeah, there's definitely, we definitely got to talk about that. Cause I mean, How that, I didn't that, get that was, fired is still amazing. The fact I didn't get fired for doing that. Like I left work. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, yeah, you want to do this? And you're like, yeah, cool. Um, <laughs> and I told my boss about it. So I was like, yeah, this looks like a tour of North Philadelphia. I mean, to, to be fair, I feel like you had a decent She was like, I'm helping a student. That's what I did. I was like, I showed him the perils of North Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, like, you know, I, I don't think I've ever said it this way to you, but, like, that was a truly life-changing day for me. Mm. Because mm. I saw a whole different world. And, and I'm so glad you know, not, not to give the full story of that day, but um, Reese is a, a musical genius and artist. For those that haven't listened, go listen. Find all his works, all, all the mixtapes. But that's how it started, if you remember, was mm-hmm. I, I was in a... write a paper. You want to write the, uh, the magazine article. I was in a magazine writing class in college. Um, we were writing a scene piece that was emphasizing... Um, descriptive language and, and making and, you know creating a scene in, in everything that you wrote um, talking about the smells you know going through the five senses uh, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term and I, I was really 
like I, I probably tried to think of other ideas and the one I kept coming back to was okay I gotta talk about Reese's recording process because I had what after after our initial trip where we got to know each other I got to see it a time like at a very small level and I was like okay I want to see more and I asked him and he's like okay yeah we can do this but we're gonna do it bigger and I'm gonna take you to North Philly where I grew up yeah I was like if you want to know about what I write and why I write it you got to see where I came from and it was a truly life-changing experience that I know I've told you this. I've gotten into political arguments with people in the past and, you know, I'm like, man, I wish I could share that experience with other people because, you know, they're like, oh, well, you know, black people in poverty just need to do these three things, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I'm like, no, 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 you need to walk around. You need to walk around and see what it is, you, because you the, no, this no is library. not this is not a life that's defined by statistics. Because mm -hmm. it can be, it can be. You gotta you gotta really like. And I I was happy that like I knew you were into it because you're a crazy mother, you know. So like you're like yeah. And I was like, listen, I remember what remember the first thing I said when we got my car. Do you remember? Yeah, the first yeah. I was literally like, this Fuck, is like I forgot my park. weapon. Yeah, I, I was like, I forgot my weapon. And this is like an amusement park. Keep all hands and legs inside of the vehicle at you, all you, you times. You know what's funny? It was like, you, you know how I think I knew like it was real, real? It wasn't even that moment. It was, you, you know, or sorry, I should, I should uh, specify. The, the moment I knew this is going to be a different experience for me. Because mm -hmm. I've been in Philly for a couple of years. Like, okay. Like even just base Philly was a little different. Or like going to get beer up by Temple because mm -hmm. that's the place that we knew where they wouldn't get, we wouldn't get carded. And like, that was that was different, like walking up past Diamond Street and all that. But good old Tiff and Diamond. Yeah, you know, <laughs> the moment that shit clicked, and I was like, okay, I'm in a different life now. Like I gotta click in. Was when we rolled up in North Philly, and you parked, and you immediately um, disconnected your radio, put it in the glove box. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I didn't know those got disconnected because I had never been in a car that had that happen. Mm. <laughs> Some ghetto James Bond shit. Yeah. Like it, yeah. Ghetto Inspector Gadget. And literally. But literally. like that, that's how I knew it was gonna be a slightly different experience. Um and, and yeah, I I don't want to say too much about that day because we will probably have a two or three hour to. podcast at some point. We, but but we got we can't do that podcast until we do it from like Cape Cod. Like we yeah, got no, 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 that, that's what I was gonna say. We have to be together for that one for sure. Yeah, yeah because there's there's dope. just too much to work through. Um, and, and that's one of the reasons why Ivan, I think black people in general has had so much grace with other people, not just white people, but other people. Because Asian people don't come to the rescue of black people. Most Latin people don't come to the rescue of black people we are really fighting this fight alone even though we're fighting it for everybody else who isn't us black people have forever forever in the history of america been at the forefront of change and we are typically not the first people to get it like that's just what it is you know like we were the first people and not the first we were partnered as the first people when it came to voting, but we really were the first black men were the first one of like, yo, non-white men need voting. Frederick Douglass was talking about it a long time ago, you know, and then it became women's suffrage. And then there was black, black women like, yeah, voting, voting, pushing the narrative. And then white women was like, no, we got the right to vote. We don't care if you do. 
okay. And then civil rights came around and now everybody else who isn't black is like, yeah, we want rights too. It's like, yeah, you should get rights too. And they get treated better. And then you fast forward to the gay movement, black trans women and trans women of color were in the forefront of the gay rights movement. And you know who has the most power? Gay white men. Like it's, it's been systematic and we've been given so much grace to everybody else to get their ish in order. And as soon as a black person messes up once, maybe twice, we get labeled something that we may not be. Like a black person can't mess up. Like that's the thing too. I think that's, I think that's where people got to remember. This whole racism thing, this whole belief that somebody is greater than is, de- is so deeply rooted that literally not only do you have more advantages as me as a person, but our errors are not even judged on the same scale. And even when we don't make an error, we still get looked at as if we did something wrong. Like when you look around the statistics of people who are locked up, like black people make up 12.7% of this country. We shouldn't be making up 30 to 40% of the people in prison. That doesn't mean that we commit crimes more. That means that you are convicting us of crimes more. That's different. And I think people don't realize that, I think, or don't want to realize it. And what we saw at the Capitol, it shows a lot because look how quickly, and I don't know how you feel about this, look how quickly those stories were just kind of gone. Like people were talking about it like, yeah, I can't believe Trump, yada, yada, yada. Look at all these Republicans recusing themselves, yada, yada. But no, that's not what I mean. I mean, look how quickly those stories dissipated as soon as people started talking about, well, who helped them? Why weren't all of them put in jail possibly for 10 years because of that new monument act that got, in, got established for all the Confederate statues and the Christopher Columbus statues? Why weren't more people executed? You telling me. That's that- what I don't understand. And, and again, to, to, to make it clear, I am not pro-execution, but I was like, you can't treat peaceful protesters during black lives matter movements you know there was so many uh in la and and plenty of other major cities but i i just recall seeing it maybe on you know stories like instagram stories that went viral from celebrities or that were out there protesting uh, just because obviously that's going to get the most eyeballs where they were truly peaceful protesters in the street just marching you know not charging cops anything like that not not assaulting police anything just charging or just marching marching chanting as you would expect at a piece of protest shot with rubber pellets tear gas no 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 no, no, no. rubber bullets yeah rubber bullets i'm sorry i'm sorry yeah, pe- rubber a pellet bullets. is different pellet is shot bullets that's airsoft yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> rubber bullets i apologize um that can also kill you, and people don't realize that. If you get hit in the head with a rubber bullet, you can die. Yeah, and those were just actual peaceful protesters, and these people don't know. And, and what, you know what I love? Because you, you mentioned the grace that, you know, black people as a whole, but especially those with the largest voice in, in these activism efforts have. You know, the mo- I, I, I wish I could say who said this because it was so poignant, and, and I, I couldn't find it right now. But essentially it was, and I saw it from a couple of different places, was essentially the thought of 
I'm not asking or we are not asking for Mm -hmm. you to shoot them the way you shoot us. Mm -hmm. We're asking you to not shoot us the way you don't shoot them. Mm -hmm. That's Ivan. You know what you just described there? Civil rights. Yeah. We're not even, we're not even at equal. Like that's, that's what we got to stop pretending. We have never established equal rights in this country. We are still fighting for civil rights, even though the civil rights bill was passed in the 60s. That's civil rights. All it is is like, hey, you know, I explain to my students, think about civil rights like this. Hey, can you stop lynching us? Hey, can you stop raping our women? Hey, can you stop burning down our neighborhoods? Hey, can you stop putting us in prison for no real, like, like, that's not even asking for equality. That's just like, hey, you want to stop being a dick for a bit? Be civil. I don't think people understand words anymore. I think I think that's really what the what one of the issues is. People it's because it gets so spun in in the echo chamber of what they view, you know, in media that you know yeah, right. I, I don't want to give like you know attack too many people or, or name too many names that don't deserve name recognition. No, but, but, but it's like but you're right though. You're right. And you know what happens with that when that when that goes all the way through is that before we even complete the task of attaining civil, equal, peaceful, whatever word you want to insert, the majority spends it so that it's attacking them. Exactly. And then we follow that narrative. Like think of maybe I'm crazy, you know, and, and for all of you who don't know Reese MC does have two degrees. Reverse racism. Crazy. He's still a little crazy, but um, I'm I'm 100 crazy. But reverse racism, by the English definition, is not racism because right. reverse is going in the opposite. So the opposite of racism is equal. So when when people who are in the majority say that's reverse racism, when you're being when you're anti-white majority, no, that can be still racism if it is actually racism. But if you don't have the power to make a real change, you're just complaining. Yeah, the, I, I've never understood, and you know, I there's some great, you know, a, again, if you can cry about it, you can laugh about it. You know, there's some great bits. I know Bill Burr just gotten some super hot water for his on SNL, <laughs> but like that shit's real. My like, bitches, like I don't get, and, and you know, I know Chappelle has done plenty, but yeah. the Bill Burr one most notably of like <laughs> white women that try to equate their suffrage to the plight of black people, not to mention just black women who are getting doubled up. Mm -hmm. But it's like, shut the fuck up. Dude, I I told you this, and I don't know how deep I want to divulge with it in this podcast, but I told you how I felt when I've had many white people who've been in and out of my life whom I love and they claim to love me in every aspect didn't hear nothing from them and and one of the things that ham- that forced me to hammer it home and feeling as low as I felt because I thought these people cared about me was the fact I don't have social media so they couldn't they couldn't just like watch my story and I know they care they couldn't just like a picture and I believe they're there for me they couldn't just leave a comment because it's convenient you had to actually reach out to me and the people who did forever have footprints on my heart. For the people who didn't, forever broke my heart. Yeah, I, I think 
that that was again i'm not gonna compare my experience of last summer to yours it was very different but i remember feeling some sort of helplessness at the time wait 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 i just gotta i just make make a point the point my one of my my life lesson that i impose upon everybody in my life that ivan was speaking to is about not comparing suffering what i mean by that is you should never ever 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 disprove how you feel about a situation because in comparison it doesn't seem as bad because the way we all interpret things is different and i don't necessarily mean like you possibly losing an election is the same thing as black people being lynched. I know those are dramatic responses, but what happened last week is dramatic. What I mean is give yourself the grace and the ability to go through that suffering, really feel for what it is, figure out why you feel that way, hopefully come out of it a better person, but don't disregard it just because somebody around you on paper is going through more. And to me, that's really the breakdown because people might hear this and be like, well, well, if we can't compare suffering, then why is people saying uh, storming the Capitol is, is, is worse than yada, yada, yada? What I'm talking about is internal. I'm talking about internal and also how you articulate it to the people around you and the people that you care about. I'm not talking about you going and doing something that is actually illegal. You know, so that's what it is about comparing suffering, because like if you all knew my life, you would probably write me <laughs> get well letters because of everything I go through but I'm around people every day who may not have gone through allegedly as much as I've gone through, but they have their own stripes that they have to deal with. We all have different breaking points. You know, mine just happened to be higher because of all of the nonsense that I've been through. That doesn't make it better or worse. It's just different. Yeah. And no, I'm, I'm glad you said it like that. Um, because yeah, no, I, I've told plenty of people where I've, I've shared pieces of your story and I'm, I've said, I don't know how sometimes you put on a smile every day. I don't even, man. I, don't even, I, I really Because, <laughs> like, you, you're always – to anyone that's ever met or known Reese, the the emotion that you're going to equate with him is happiness and joy and comedy and, and fun. But when you get to know the man behind Reese the MC, there's a lot of pain and suffering and – things I would not wish on anyone that I would ever know. Um, I do. I, I don't want anybody to ever have to live the life I lived. And I'm a, I'm a extremely successful human being too, which is crazy. I like, don't, yeah. Like, like I don't, you're, I, I, you're an anomaly for less sure. Less than 1%, less than 1% of the people who had, who had the same circumstances I had or will have the same circumstances I had will, would have made it to this point. And, and it's a, I do. Some of the goals that you've even shared with me of like, oh, I expected to live this long or 16. Here's what I learned. Like, that was never an option for me. Yeah. You probably didn't think when you would go to college. It was about what college. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. And and I fucked off in half of high school. And to me, it was an if. Nobody in my immediate family or circle ever went to college. Not not graduate. I mean, go to college. Like I don't attended like, uh, one yeah, day. I was like, uh, I guess I'm here alone. Like I guess I got to figure this out. But that's why I deal with, and I know we're getting sidetracked, but I deal with extreme survivors' remorse and guilt. People look those two words up. They're not the same. 
I deal with extreme survivor's remorse and extreme survivor's guilt. Like these last three months specifically, I've been, I've been feeling so terrible about myself because I'm trying to figure out why I made it this far and other people didn't. Even though I put the work in, you can attest to it. I've like, you've seen me, I grind. Mm-hmm. I do what I got to do, but my life has been in danger so many times and I'm still here relatively healthy. I've put my own life in danger many a times and I'm still here relatively healthy. I put my trust in the wrong people, not as many times, but enough times where I could have easily been in a bad situation. You know, I think about all of the people who I've lost and all of the people who I continue to lose who are still breathing. And it is, it's crippling, it's demoralizing. Like, and like you said, how do I keep putting a smile on? Like that's, that's one of those things that I think, and this is me being Petty LaBelle or Petty Wop or Petty Pendergrass, one of the three. I'll take Tom I, Petty. Ooh, I Richard like Petty. It. No, no, we're gonna, we're gonna go. We're gonna go Tom Petty. Okay, I'll go Tom. Shout out to Game Two because <laughs> it's gonna, yeah, it's gonna be, it's gonna be bad. I, I know, I know that if I were to die tonight after we're done recording this, I know if I die tonight after we're recording this, mad people have easily. There. I could have easily a thousand people at my funeral. Well, there's not going to be a funeral. You don't know my plans. But if I was to have a funeral, easily a thousand people at that funeral. If you walked and asked one, every person who went to that funeral, when the last time you checked in on Reese? Not thought about, mm-hmm. not wondered. About, no, when the last time you checked in on Reese? I would say 600 of those people would be like, yeah, you know, I really wanted to. But, or they'll say something like, yeah, you know, we just grew apart. Or they'll say something like, yeah, you know, I was going to, but. That's, to me, those are not excuses. No, to me, those are excuses. They're not reasons. Yeah. And 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 I have a, a really big issue with that. Look how petty I am. I'm petty and pre-death. <laughs> like, I'm looking at this like, when I die. Because if, I, if, I, if there's an opportunity for me to come back, I'm haunting these motherfuckers. Oh, fuck on yeah. all of them. Like, oh, I heard you missed me. You came to my funeral. Where were you at? Oh, they're going to be mad. I'm going to be that person. I'll live in purgatory for forever instead of going to heaven or hell. Like, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm here. What are we doing? Like, you missed me. It's going to be way more fun. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and, I mean, that, it, I, I think that's one thing where we always were very aligned in a weird way. We always were. I, I, I trust both of our instincts with people. Mm-hmm. I, and I think we also, I think we pick good people generally to just surround ourselves with. Period. I think we pick great people, but yeah, good great, is- great, genuine, authentic people is the people we try to, not try to. We just naturally gravitate towards and gravitate towards us. I believe. Yeah, because we feel the energy. We're big energy people. Yeah, we don't. You don't even have to say anything if you're in the same room with somebody. You can feel who they are. Well, yeah. I mean, like that's the thing. Like, uh. You know, again, not to go too far off on a tangent, it's probably a story for another day. Recent, I met on a Habitat for Humanity trip for one week going to Birmingham, Alabama. We had never met each other. We were five years apart in age, totally different life stories. And look at us here. Uh, almost six years later. That's it. It's only been six. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. 
It feels so much longer. I know. But yeah, like, no, that that's, you know, like to quote a great uh, line from Remember the Titans, you know, that's my brother. Can Strong you see the style. resemblance? <laughs> you know, like that's how it is because we're very, you know, I, I think th- there's a moment, uh, there's a great YouTube video that I like to drunkenly rewatch reactions to every now and again. Um, and it's a Larry Bird ultimate mixtape. <laughs> I, I just love watching people react to Larry Bird more than I like watching Larry Bird. It's like, oh, I didn't realize he was like this, like this. But there, there's a point where they're talking about Larry and Magic. They were like, they have completely different life stories, but their value system is identical. Dude, why do you think Dr. J had to swing on Larry? He's like, all right, yo, listen, you ain't going to be out here talking. And they shit. had to have Chuck hold him back. Yeah, you ain't going to be out here talking <laughs> shit, balling out. And acting like, no, nah, we're going to do something. We're going to go to Fisticuffs. Yeah. No, he, he said he was in the mixtape, and he was like, yeah, he had the moniker of the, fr- uh, the hick from French Lick, and if you believe that for a second, you're going to get beat. And that's, and that's the beautiful thing about life, because one reason why I'm still alive way longer than I thought. I'm about to come up on, if I make it to 32, and, and I'm planning on making it to 32, so people out here don't act like I'm on a suicide mission. But if I make it to 32... I would have lived literally double the amount of time I thought I would live. And I would be four years away from living as long as my mom. That's a sentence that you may not know anybody in your life who can utter. No, definitely not both parts. And that's the kind of life I've lived. And I think that's one of the reasons why I genuinely, and, and I haven't been the greatest human being ever. I'm still not the greatest human being ever. You know, I have plenty of people in my life who would probably attest, probably not plenty. I probably have a, a few people in my life who would attest to that. But at the end of the day, I don't think anybody could ever say that if you were a part of my life, I didn't show you appreciation at some point. Because the ability to live love and live on with people is something that is extremely rare like you see the old couple who've been married for 40 years and date almost never have a conversation it's always an argument they're existing but they're not living together they're just physically attached all my friends all of my extended family you know ones who ain't blood but they blood to me all of that and including my my blood relatives i love to show the love. And if we looked on, I like to call it the Carfax. If we check the Carfax, I'm probably quote unquote more successful on paper than a lot of people who I show that type of love to. And for me, that does not matter. To me, I should be inspiring them. I shouldn't be dimming their light so that I can shine brighter. Like I would rather for you, my nieces, my nephews, my other family and friends to to surpass me so I can know, so I can see another path and I can try to get to where y'all are at. Like, I don't, I don't do the whole jealousy thing because to me, how can I be jealous of somebody if we're both breathing? That's the, that's the highest level. Like, Oh, I can figure it out. Like when people ask me how I'm doing every morning, every afternoon, every night, when I see people, yo, Reese, how you doing? I woke up today. Everything else easy. And that's not necessarily true, but the thought process is true. And we got to get to a point as people 
where we can look at ourselves in the mirror and feel good about what we see. I think a lot of people, if not most people, don't feel good about what they see. That's why they have to persecute. That's why they have to downtrod other people because it makes them feel better about who they are and who they're becoming. And, and this is my last point I'll probably say is that I had to come to a point relatively recently where I had to forgive people who did me wrong because I realized that they had to pretend like I didn't exist for them to live their life because of how much impact I actually had on their life. Yeah. I mean, I mean, definitely, definitely got deeper this, this episode than, uh, any so far, and I appreciate because you that. nominated Nomar, man. You know we got to talk about life. Yeah, it got got real. We went right to the heart. But yeah, no, I mean just the last topic because we kind of digress from this. But it, it was something last summer because you mentioned people checking in on you. It was like I, I remember a feeling of like, I, like I just you know it was one of those things where it's like I, I've been able to be exposed to a, a fair number of stories from you know, black people in my life, whether it's you or family, friends or others that have been through trauma that is unimaginable to me, Um, whether it's everything that you've gone through or um, a family friend of ours having their son killed by police um, back in 2010, which led to a seven-year litigation before they finally received a settlement of any kind. And, oh, by the way, that year that that officer wrongly killed this young man who was out celebrating his 21st birthday on homecoming weekend as a football player was named Officer of the Year. And you know what they did when he was out there dying in the street when people were trying to perform CPR? Tasing anyone that tried to approach him to help him. You know, I, I got that, and that was, that was the, probably the first major piece of, of this puzzle that I was illuminated to was when, I was at that point a sophomore in high school. And obviously I had never experienced this in the bubble that I lived in in the suburb, but I just remember, you know, not, not to get into that, but I remember last summer just being like, I don't know. And I mean, I could probably go back to whatever it is I said to you. Um, and it's something that I said to everyone that I knew that, you know, was a, a person of color that, lived a life that I couldn't understand. And all I wanted was to let them know that I love them, that I want to be there for them in any way possible and just check on them. Cause it's like, I didn't like that. Like usually I have, I feel like I have a pretty good grasp on how to help people. Like just a good gut intuition. And I don't think I've ever felt so helpless as I did last summer. Mm-hmm. Where I was like, I don't like what can what can I say? Like I can't be like it's gonna get better because it hasn't, you know. So it's like, and that's that's kind of where I would leave it on this particular conversation. Is like anyone that needs anything, if you know me, or if you find this podcast and you need someone to go to. Hit me up. I'm glad to connect people with Reese. <laughs> For sure. You know, we're here to love. We're, we're not here to hate. But, um, 
you know, we've been on this for a while. I'm, I'm sure we'll dig into this far from the last time we'll we'll get super real like this. But I say we take a little little break for a minute, and then we'll come back, finish it up with some some more lighthearted uh, thoughts. <laughs> what you think? Yeah, yeah. No, I think that I think this kind of stuff is is real because, I mean, especially when I was on social media, the world wants you to see one facet of them. And I think that's actually a travesty. I think it should be a crime that could be persecuted where you are dulling your complexities to appear more simple for other people to feel comfortable. And we laugh, we joke, we play around all of the time in our everyday life and our relationship. And even on this podcast, that's pretty much what it's been forever. Though Those dark age episodes from yesteryear and even all of the ones that we had before this it's always been like cracking up, joking, making fun of things, talking about things other people may not want to really appreciate and talk about. And I think that we have to show the full scope of who we are as people in order to allow people to know that we're actually people. Like we, we, we put on such a front as humans that we are so tough that nothing affects us or we are so depressed that nothing can lift us or we are so whatever that nothing can change that. And we have to instill again that things can change, but it has to start with change within yourself. Like when, whenever we get to that North Philly episode, they'll see change within ourselves. Whenever, if you choose to, you talk about how things have been your struggles getting to the point where you are and trying to find your way, they'll see change within. You have to have change within yourself before you can ever truly accept the success that comes with it. Like you might become successful, but how many successful people have killed themselves in the last five years, let alone ever? Not in the last two. Yeah. <sighs> Any time for like in the last six months, there's plenty and we don't just don't may not even know their names. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something that we need to actually look at. You know, we shouldn't ignore these things. Like people have exactly what we will write on a paper. Like, once you grow up, what do you want to be? And people are Robin Williams. Oh my gosh. Well, I was talking about Robin Williams literally yesterday. Like I, you know, my saying about Robin Williams, and this is something that I probably should get trademarked and maybe donated to the Robin Williams foundation. If that is a thing, I believe it is. I believe it is that like, how is it the man who would cure everything with laughter, stop seeing the humor in life? This is a dark place. This is a dark place. That's why you got to keep a flashlight. And sometimes that flashlight... There is no light without darkness, though. Absolutely. And then as Tupac would say, to every dark night, there's a brighter day. Right, we'll, Doug we'll, life. Yeah, we'll, we'll be back in a minute with, with some some final thoughts to wrap it up. Home state of Paul Revere, John Hancock, and Noma. Noma. All right, we're back. We'll, we'll finish it up with with some some light thoughts um, to swing it back around to Boston sports because I have to do these things. We got a big fight this weekend. Oh, wait. and we won't talk about next week's. We, we can cover that. Next no, no, week. no. We ain't talk about that right now. This week, though, is a banger. <laughs> I'm conflicted, man. Like I'm, I'm conflicted. Right. I mean, I'm not really. But I'm like, not conflicted on who I want to win. I'm conflicted on what will happen if, if they don't win. 
How so? I mean, I, I'm not conflicted on who I want to win other than the fact that I do like the person that I want to lose. But, I mean, at the end of the day, there's, a, there's only one way I can go. Do you want to include, uh, include the people in on? Yeah, yeah. yeah let's, let's talk about it. Um, the UFC featherweight division, first time ever. Yeah. It's on ABC. Yeah. First time since the days of, like, Mickey Ward. Like, we're talking 15-plus uh-huh. years since we've had a fight, period. Uh-huh. On ABC, first time. Of course, he would bring up. Of course, he would bring up Mickey Ward. But yeah, continue, sir. <laughs> you have something to say about Mickey Ward, or do you want to compliment him like you always do? Yeah, he takes a hell of a punch. He sends one too. Head body. Um, okay, but main event in the featherweight UFC division on Fight Island in Abu Dhabi, the former champ Max Bless Holloway versus Calvin, the Boston finisher, Cater. Of the New England cartel. Uh, so, I mean, with that intro, you probably know who I'm rooting for, obviously. I mean, I kind of have to. I, I love Max. I love Max. Don't get me wrong. Um, I even did – I was, like, trying to rank it last year, like, my favorite fighters at each weight division. And I think Max is two among the 145ers. But I think he, I think he, I think they dropped him down to three. No, I'm, I'm saying in my personal rankings of, oh. like, who I love, like, who I'm – like – if I were to tier who I'm rooting for in a given fight, um, like Max is right up there at the top. I love Max Holloway. Love uh, Lil Bless. Shout out to Rush. Absolute legend of the sport, even though he's like eight. But fucking Calvin Cata, kid. It's hard to root against the hometown kid. But, but uh, yeah, let's, let's talk about this fight a little bit. Because I feel like it's gone a little bit under the radar. I mean, it's the, it's the first fight of the year, so – They've done plenty of promoting, but I feel like fans haven't gotten the full weight behind it because they still feel like Cater is this up-and-comer, which at this point he's really not. Mm, I, I think In my that, eyes, at least. I, I think say. anybody who isn't a champion is always looked at that until you get to a certain age. What, what's that age? I think that age is late 30s in MMA because we've seen people fight at high levels, early 30s, mid 30s, and early, early, mid 30s, early, late 30s. But when you get to like that, that back end 30, that's when people start acting like you did something that so nobody's like ever done. Where Nate Diaz is now, or Cowboy. Nate Diaz is where, where Cowboy is, where, where Randy Couture was. I think that's why Wonder Randy Boy. Couture is so loved. Yeah, Wonder Boy, all of those, Uriah Faber. Because he got picked up late into his his, his um, MMA career, I think that when you get to that back end of thirty, that's when people start looking at you like you're different if you actually win. Yeah, I, I think I, I feel like because I mean the odds are not that heavy. Um, I feel like the the casual fan is gonna be like, "Oh, this is Max, who sh- maybe should have won his last fight," according to most. Last two fights, but yeah, last fight too. I don't know about last two. Last one, I think. I think he won, he won. Think he won that very first one. I think really? it was a bad fight overall, but he landed the more significant strikes, and I think that he actually chewed up. We're getting off. We're getting weeds. Okay, Continue. yeah, but I, I feel like most people are viewing this fight as Max is going to get his one win here, right back into the title. Um, and I do think that some people are sleeping on Calvin more than they should. I don't think, because I feel like there's been talk about like Max is overlooking him. I don't think that's happening. I don't think Max Holloway's ever overlooked anybody except for right. DC. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's for different reasons. Yeah. But, but I think the, the thing about Max. man on the planet. 
But I think the thing about Max is that people really forget because he's been in so many scraps. He's not even 30. It's crazy. He's taken so many strikes. Like, like, like to the point where in his last two fight camps, he hasn't sparred because he's like, I'm just going to save it. But, but on the flip side of that, though, he hasn't absorbed the type of strikes that would knock him out like other fighters have because of the weight class he's in and because he rolls with strikes well. Like, he gets, yeah, I mean, like you Anderson look, Silva, he went was five one of those with Dustin Poirier at 155. Yeah, Dustin Poirier knocks out dudes like Justin Gaethje who don't get knocked out at 155. Exactly, dude. Like, like when, like when Israel Adesanya fought Anderson Silva, he was getting hit all fight. But then you realize, like, he's not hurt at all because he's literally rolling his neck with every hit. Like, yeah, you're touching me. You're yeah. not really hitting me. And Max, to me, is one of those dudes who, like, he rolls his neck well where, like, you're technically hitting him. But I've never seen Max Holloway back up consistently in any fight. And I think that's because even when he fought Connor, it was like, I'm, I'm here. Like, what, what are we doing? Like, what, what, And he's a volume striker. Like, he's, he's, a, he's also not going to hit you with the strikes where it's like, I'm putting your lights out right now. Yeah. He, but he's he, just going to be so, all over you all the time. He beats you by accumulation of damage. Yeah. And, and he, he's kind of like he's kind of like the old school Diaz approach. He's not going to hit you at 100% with every strike. You know, like how hey, you look at a guy like Connor, he's looking to hit you at 100% with that left hand. Someone like Max or Nate or Nick, for the first like two or three rounds, they're going to hit you with like 50 to 65% on a given strike. Because they're just gonna kind of slap you up, you know, just touch you, get get in your face, and see how you react. But then, then they might look for the kill when it's there, four or five. Um, but I, but but the thing, and maybe, and I would love your opinion on this. I don't think, and I am Max Holloway is one of my ten favorite fighters ever. And I know, that's not actually a hard thing for me to say. Like, he might be 9 or 10. Like, he's not, like, high on that list. But he's, like, I think he, I think he's – I would have to go through the list. But I think he's one of my 10 favorite MMA fighters ever. I don't look at Max Holloway as the guy who is, a, like, a 5 tool player. Like, we talked about Nomar earlier. I look at Max Holloway as a guy who is a 2 to 3 tool player. But those tools are Hall of Fame tools. So, I worry, though, that – if he goes into this fight, right, and he is not the stronger striker in this fight at all, and if he is not doing well on his feet, I worry that once they get to the ground, I think he's a better grappler possibly, but that's still to me up in the air. I think the thing that Max Holloway has to do is he has to stick and move. I think he actually has to use his feet in his kind of be better. Kind of be a little bit of a point fighter. Do because he hasn't – I don't – Maybe I'm missing it, but I've watched, I think, the last eight Max Holloway fights, probably live, and I don't see him moving anymore. Like, he just stands there. He, like, dodges, like, with his shoulders and his upper body. But yeah, he's a little head room right here. He's there, in the pocket. Yeah. He's in the pocket. And yeah, you don't I'm, want to be in the pocket with Calvin Cater. Exactly, and I'm worried about that because, like you said, he's taken an extreme amount of damage in his career. He's not even 30. And I worry that he, because he's been so successful, you can argue he's the greatest champion that weight class ever had. That's a real argument. Yeah, And he has sure. done it kind of one way. So now that he can't do it that one way anymore, what will happen? 
Yeah, so, you know, to run through some stats. And the other thing with Max, and I do think this is important, he's 5'11 at 145. Against pretty much everyone, that's a major advantage. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have that advantage against Cater. Cater's 5'11 and has a three-inch reach over Max. You know, wait, can you say that again? Yeah, he has a three re- three inch reach advantage on Max. He has a three inch. Max Holloway has dumb long arms. Calvin's long, man. Wait, say say their heights and their reach again. Okay, let, let me pull them up d- direct from the UFC website because I, I want the most accurate information because we know that Dana would never gaslight any of this potential information. Yeah, Dana only speaks facts. But they're both five eleven listed. So I know that. Let's pull up reach. Okay. Um, for whatever reason, the UFC website isn't picking up. But Wikipedia. Dana heard us. <laughs> we're we're going to roll with Wiki. Calvin has a 72-inch reach. At 5'11", okay. And Max has, yeah, 69 inches. All right, so I'm about to, I'm about to, be, I'm about to be that guy. You ready? I feel like Max's might be a lie. I'm about to be that guy. Two points I want to make about what you just said. One, that is 100% inaccurate. I don't believe Max Holloway's reaches 68 or 69. That, is, it I, just, I, is it just that he holds his arms like this, like weirdly? But I've also seen him literally reach across the cage. Like, I don't, I don't believe that. And the second thing is I'm 5'8", people, and I have a 74-inch wingspan. Do you really? I was supposed to, I was supposed to be something in his, world, in his life. I have a 74-inch wingspan, and I'm 5'8". I'm really 5'7 and 3'4", but I claim 5'8", because if I say 5'7 and 3'4", it sounds like I'm trying to be tall, even though that's not tall. Yeah, I, I feel like, uh, without knowing for sure, I feel like I'm enough of a white-bred human being. I probably just have, like, the the right wingspan that my body is supposed to have. <laughs> you would be normal? Yeah, <laughs> like, 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 like I'm you, just boring like you, and normal with that. I like how you say that like it's Wonder a problem. Bread. Like, yeah, no, it's like, I, 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 I don't have that. I, I didn't get the Kevin McHale white see, jeans I, of no, like, I, he has I like an 80 inch, you know, like uh, reach out there. Yeah, no. I technically have deformities. I have dimples, which is a facial deformity. And my wingspan is technically speaking, 8.25 inches longer than it's supposed to be. Now I might have to measure this. You know what? A part of me doesn't want to measure it because I feel like when I do, I'm going to be like, I have a shorter wingspan than I <laughs> That's what I'm worried about. Like a 60? You like I have yeah. a 60 inch wingspan? Like a 60? Yeah. Are you sure about that? Because that's foot. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. Guess we're measuring in the metric system now. Dude, what I, I, and that's what's crazy too because, like, honestly speaking, if I ever have kids, they're going to have great genes. Because I have amazing genes. It's just that my body broke down. Like, that's yeah. just really what it was. Like, my knees, knees got bad. My shoulders went out of place. Like, hip, it, like, this is a lot of stuff. But, like, the fact that I'm 5'7 and 3'4 with a 74-inch wingspan is insane. Like, if I actually – if I go – I'm keep arriving, and I'm going to pull you into this if this happens. If I just lose all my shit, we UFC fighting, baby. Like, I'm getting my shit together. We're going we gonna to give a, a strong three- to five-year run. It's not going to be a long career, but we're going to make money. Because I'm going to get my shit together. I'm going to be a, a, a blue belt 
in jujitsu, but really be a brown belt and then like act like I'm a blue belt and then be like and move that shit up. And I'm going to be the striking motherfucker because I have a dense, I have a dense skeleton. I'm heavy handed. I have a wingspan as literally over, over what it should be by almost an entire foot. We going to do some damage. I mean, I, I, I could be your Mickey. For sure. Cut me, Mick. You sure cut me, Mac. I got you. I got you. So I who, remember who, who, who you got who you got realistically and who you got in your heart because I feel like those are two different answers. I mean, okay, we'll start with the easy one. The heart, the heart is Calvin. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, I, I genuinely think, I genuinely think Calvin wins this fight, which is so crazy to say because. Every other time Max is fought, I was like, yeah, no, Max, you can win. But there, there's, like, some weird energy momentum around, especially the Calvin's team right now, where, like, they're all on this trajectory, which is weird. Like, there's never been a true contender to come from New England in MMA. Hold, hold on. Let me think about that. Let me think about that. Yeah, there's yeah, never you, been you can a think true all you contender. Want. Yeah, you can think all you want. There's one one notable name in UFC MMA history. But are you including women in that? Because I feel like there's a woman that I'm thinking about and I can't get her name. Not that I can think of. Never been a true contender. All right, so for the people out there, we're talking Rhode Island, we're talking Massachusetts, we're talking New Hampshire, we're talking Vermont. What else were we talking about? Connecticut. Connecticut. Maine. Maine, okay. Shout you out say to Maine. Yeah, do you say Vermont? You said yeah, Vermont so, and Massachusetts, yeah. Okay, so let me think. Let me think. Let me think about this for like give me give me fifteen seconds. So we don't okay. have to spend a lot of time, but I feel like there has to have been a true competitor and contender in MMA who's come out of New England. Like I just I just feel like there is somebody. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, you gotta remember it, it's a boxer's it, like yeah, yeah, I say MMA, I say, I yeah. MMA, not combat sports. No, but, but like I, I think that's why is a lot of people went into boxing and not MMA for a long time. Yeah, I can I can definitely see that. I'm blank. I don't. I can't think of anybody. Maybe you're right. Yeah, I mean, like the most notable one is Joe Lozon. Ooh, shout out to Joe. Joe's a tough mother. Yeah, Joe's a crazy dude. Uh, Tim Boach is from Maine. Um. There's uh, Ken Flo is probably the other one. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think Ken, that's who Ken I was. Ken Flo is probably the the other big one. But he, um, I think, he, I think the highest he ever. I don't even think he. I think he lost his interim title shot, didn't he? He never won a title. Yeah, he, he lost. He fought, yeah. he fought at three different weight classes, which I mean is impressive in itself. And Kenny Florin was a beast, man. Like I just want to, like he he was one of the original guys who came up through like that whole tough circuit, and he was a beast, but he wasn't the guy. Yeah, and like by the way, also when I say from New England, I'm talking like from New England. Like yeah, yeah, on, the, on this on this look I'm looking at, they put Glover to share it. No, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not doing anybody who trained. So you know, he lived in Connecticut for a little bit. Yeah, no, I'm talking about people no. who are from the. I'm talking about people who who grew up with lobster biscuit veins. Facts. Yeah, like there's not many because, like we said, they all went to boxing. So th- this team. And a lot of them, you know, huge, huge shout out to Joe Lozon, Lozon MMA, because they've put New England MMA on the map, and that's the the mecca of it. Mm-hmm. But right now, the New England cartel, 
head coach by Tyson Chartier or Chartier because it's a French name, but he pronounces it with the hard R. Listen, my name is Maurice. It's a French name. I pronounce it Maurice. Yeah. So he, he has the American pronunciation, Tyson Chartier. Um, and Calvin Cater in the 145 division and Rob Font, who is a monster at 135. Just starts Marlon Marias. But, you know, like they have this weird energy around them where I, I don't know. You know, there's definitely the heart factors in. Let, let, let's not get it twisted. The heart factors in. And I so, just want to jump on the bandwagon a little bit. I genuinely okay. think Calvin can, can and will win this fight. All right, let's put let's put a let's put a wager on it. And I like to wager with either pride or materials, not necessarily money, if that's okay with Okay, you. we're not doing eyebrows. We aren't going to do eyebrows because if we were, it would be in person and I'm shaving yours off myself. But so I I would like to I'm I'm betting Max Holloway. Max bless sure. Holloway. I think that this might be his toughest fight since Jose. When it comes to I think the stylistically, matchup. yeah. Yeah, the matchup. Yeah, I think it's the matchup because this is a guy like he everything that, that that Max Holloway wins with, this guy arguably does better. So that means we yeah, Max Cal- gotta actually Calvin is I genuinely think you think I genuinely think you can make the argument he is has the best boxing in the sport. I don't know about that. Well, maybe not the best, but like top three to five. Uh, okay, yeah, I, I might give you that because I was about to say, even though he's considerably more washed than I hate to admit. You can't put anybody above Joe's junior Dos Santos for boxing. Um, Glover Texera, crazy boxer. Like, it's just like certain guys. I'm like, yeah, I don't want to get touched by you. You know how I like not punched. I don't want to get touched. Like, don't push yeah. me. Don't mush me. <laughs> like, leave me alone. Like your hands are dangerous. Yeah. Cause like Calvin, when you look at the, his more recent fights, like he was piecing up people that don't get pieced up. Because like, he, he's and this starched is, I'm, I'm about Jeremy to, Stevens. Listen, I'm about to say, I know, little evil. And Jeremy about, Stevens does not get knocked out. I'm about to, well, there's a lot of steroids. But I, I also want to say this, and this is a very unpopular opinion because I know people are going to be like, well, MMA is more complete. That's not true. Most people who've ever existed in MMA who you can name are good at one to two and a half things. They aren't this, like, I can do anything at any point in time fighter. So when people look at boxing, like, all boxers can, yeah, all, the GOAT, all boxers can do is stand on their feet and move and punch. I'm like, you do know that striking is exactly what that is. They just call different types of striking different things. And boxing is the highest level of striking. Yeah. So, like, it's, it's this weird thing, like, where, where people act like boxers can't compete and contend in MMA if they don't just learn how to have takedown defense and submission defense. But but do you think because I I do think there's a you know not to interrupt you too much but like I do think there's a certain different style of body. Like I don't think Floyd Mayweather's body is meant to take a leg kick. I disagree. I just and the reason why I disagree cuz look at John Jones legs. John Jones has the skinniest calf muscles I've ever seen of any great athlete. Great athlete, not just in MMA. Great athlete. John Jones' calf muscles are like my forearms. I don't know how he does it, but he literally survives. all. And then you look at Anderson Silva, who had great legs and broke his shit in half. So I don't really like – I just think that it's just a, it's kind of a crapshoot. And the thing about this I will also say is if you look at the body of boxers overall, they are built more like the Diaz brothers because they have that lean muscle. Yeah. It's not that like – 
hoked up, super strong. I can't move Gano, around. Like Stipe, yeah. Like like Sean Shirk. Remember Sean Shirk? Yeah. Who's built? Well, I mean, a lot of stories, but he was built like a mini Arnold Schwarzenegger. And yeah, or no, Matthews. Yeah, no flat, no fluid movement. It was all blocky and shit. Like it was like like. Do you know Zab Jude was a black belt? Yeah, I had heard that. So when people be like, you know yeah, what, Zab to, Judah, you know what boxer I'd love to see again to go on a tangent. What boxer I'd love to see fight in MMA? I want Loma. Lomachenko because he has yeah. that footwork. And he wrestles. I feel like, but that's not even fair. I feel like anybody who comes from that part of the world comes out the crib wrestling. Like, it's just like, like I'm not surprised. I'm like, oh, wrestle he wrestles. Bear. Go got, wrestle that bear. You, you got to <laughs> wrestle in order to leave the crib. Like, you can't learn how to walk. And, and again, not wrestle. You're going to go wrestle a wild animal. Yeah, you're going to go out there and win against nature. Actual like, fight like, or flight. Like, dude, I can tap out a toddler if I was a toddler. I'm not tapping out a, a porcupine. Like, that's, that's a different <laughs> Without life. getting pricked, too. No, no, getting pricked and enjoying it. Yeah. That's what I think they do. I don't think they yeah, avoid it. Giving it that BJ Penn lick and you'll give me all that. Dude, like, oh, BJ Penn is the most disgusting person probably ever, but he, he's the Steve Nash. Hey, and is an actual person. No, nah, I don't want to compare to Steve Nash because, like, about BJ Penn's like I'm, t- I'm, talking, I'm, talking, about, I'm talking about his, his tics, his mannerisms, oh, like, he, yeah. how he licked. Like, Steve Nash used to lick the ball, like, yo, Steve, stop that nasty shit. <laughs> like, no, he's BJ, BJ Penn. He's BJ Canadian, Penn has, South of African. He's got some weird, yeah. weird, BJ weird Penn stuff has. CTA. So I'm I'm writing him off. He just has CTA. Uh, I yeah. There's sure. no way he doesn't. There's no. zero person. Even before he's also gotten into way too much trouble to not have some mental stuff at this point. It makes no sense. And it also shows I think this should be our last point because we're going kind of long. That also yeah. shows how little Dana White cares about MMA fighters. No because fun. he BJ Penn was about to be scheduled to fight again before he got knocked out again in Hawaii. And they were like, Yeah, we're gonna cut our ties. I'm like, that's like the third knockout in a year. Now you're cutting your ties, and BJ uh, hasn't won maybe a fight more than that. Yeah, than he that. hasn't. He hasn't won a fight since I want to say 2011 or 2012. Dude, no, no, I meant like street knockout in a year. <laughs> like I didn't yeah. mean in the actual. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I forgot about those. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. But like the fact that like they weren't even running him up against like people that were fair to you know who his last win was against. Wait, wait, wait. Can you say the weight class? And I'll guess. Uh, had to have been welterweight. Hmm. His last win at welterweight. I'm gonna go with his last win. Was I can't even think of it because it's been that long. Honestly, it was in 21 seconds. KO. Who? Matt Hughes. Oh yeah, I was when Matt Hughes was washed though. That was 2010. It's been 11 years since BJ Penn won a fight. And what trade is like. They kept putting him in there against savages. <laughs> like, let, let me let me run you through some of the people he fought since then. John Fitch, Nick Diaz, Rory McDonald, Frankie Edgar, Yair Rodriguez, Dennis Seaver, Ryan Hall, Clay Guida. You just kept putting him in there. People, they're going to fuck him up. Like, none of those people were like, ah, I'll take you to do a decision. Maybe Dennis Seaver. Dennis Seaver. But it's like, Clay Guida is, a, is the Tasmanian devil brought to life but that, that goes to what i was saying about how you you can tell they don't get they don't care about fighters like yeah. that's what it is like that's a legend like i think that i think that like anderson silva is one of those dudes who've been who's been stopped more than he hasn't in the last 10 fights of his career even though he's put on a great effort but he can still beat anybody 35 and older 
I'm yeah. I, my heart. I truly do believe that. Like I, at the right weight, he could be anybody 35 or older, but he shouldn't be fighting these young killers. Like, I don't care what he says. Like, like oh, give me the best. No, yeah, he, I'll give he, you like, who you deserve. Yeah. Nick Diaz should not come in and fight Darren Till. No, no, like, no, like stop, stop with the, it's, it's just ludicrous. It's ludicrous. Like you're not on a title run. And they, and they, they only do that to the, I mean, oh my gosh, I'm about to say something that's going to, I can't get canceled. I have nothing to lose. They only do that to men. They don't, they yeah. don't do that. Like when they put uh, Macy Barber in there and they thought that she was going to run rock chart, And it's just like, you put them in, you put her in there against a jujitsu master. People need to stop sleeping. That's a master of jujitsu. So she's not really going to get hurt if she loses allegedly. And then she tears her ACL and it's like, oh, oh, we got to actually do something about this now. They wasn't putting her in there like, hey, go fight Cyborg. Like, that's not what was going yeah. to happen. The, the other thing is you can tell what they did with BJ, which really emphasizes, again, the point that Dana doesn't care. Multiple of these events, when he was already well past his peak, he was still the main event. Like, hey, you were just using for name recognition at that point. Yeah. You had him fight Yair Rodriguez. He hadn't even been in the octagon for three years, much less hadn't won one in seven. And he was the main event against Yair Rodriguez, who at the time was the one of the phenoms in the sport. Yeah, it's it's not it's not right. Like it's in 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 I think mixed martial arts specifically, because boxing does this way better, which is one of the few things boxing does better. They send their legends out, out better that MMA does like it's it's not I don't I don't care what anybody tells me and I don't care how you feel about any of these fighters these guys who built the sport should not be leaving out on their back like I don't believe that like you can leave out losing you can leave out going to sleep the name can you name five of the of the Mount Rushmore people in MMA who didn't leave out on their back like that shit is sad yeah I mean Uriah did it, you know, because I know we talked about him already. That's Uriah, his initial retirement. Yeah, his initial retirement, he did it right. Yeah. Retired on a dub in Sac, in Sacramento. He's like, yeah, you, uh, he may have gotten a finish. I don't remember. Probably not. But who knows? But And he then he came back. everybody in WEC. Yeah, he came back because, you know why? Because Dana White and him was like, hey, here's, here's actually a little bit more money than you probably used to make when we took over Probably WC. ever make yeah back and, and that's sad dom cruz dude yeah like that shit is sad man and and uriah faber is one of my all-time favorite fighters he was my favorite fighter for a couple years when he was in wc because i truly believe was he featherweight in wc yeah I think? I think he's the greatest featherweight i ever saw when he was in his prime not the career but in his prime he was fast he was strong he could wrestle you to the fucking ground he could submit you and he had a chin of steel he came back when he was like forty. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the other one, it's like DC didn't go out on his back, but he kind of did. He did go out to me. He went out on his back. Yeah, he, he got knocked out in the second to last fight, then still lost the last fight, and had possibly a permanent injury to his eye. Like it's just like, like come on, man. Like like how? Why are you treating people like this who help you get to this crazy level of success? And nobody standing up for it. Like one of the things that I do, I appreciate a lot about Connor. I know that's not a popular opinion to a lot of people who look into his personal life, but I really, really love Connor McGregor as a fighter for a lot of reasons. Probably my top, 
is that he always tried to get fighters who came before him paid. Yeah. Always. Everybody who he's fought who was around before him, he makes a big spectacle of it. Like, you saw the leak chat with, about Diego. Since he's like, I want to fight Diego. And he was piping Diego up. Diego was not the person Connor was piping up, but he was piping him up, like, because he saw that, like, this guy has been here far longer than me, been fighting for over 20 years. He, he, he represents the most savage side of the sport. And he seems and like he's a good never dude. gotten compensated for it. And he seems like a good dude. So let's yeah. do something about that. And they're like, uh, Connor doesn't want to fight this year. And he's like, what? I just told you <laughs> I wanted to fight. Yeah. So I, I kind of forgot about this because I, I forgot a little bit about when Uriah came back. Because he did knock out um, Ricky Simon when he first came back in, a, in like a minute. And I was like, oh, sweet, your eyes back. He should have never been put in the same cage as Peter Jan. I watched that fight live, and it broke my heart. I mean, he broke still, my heart because yeah. he couldn't do nothing. You know what that fight reminded me of? Is when TJ Dillashaw dropped down to fight Henry Cejudo. And it was like, this should not go this way. Like, you might lose, but you shouldn't be losing like this. Yeah. And we watched that together. Yeah, we did. Yeah. But by the way, yeah, that, that's the fight that I think they're going to make for Rob Font in, in the in a Bantamweight division is they're going to get TJ. Who, TJ. TJ. Oh, Dillashaw. Okay. TJ's like I, the only one that's not booked right now. Rob Font is – what's his ranking right now? Three or five? Maybe five? Or I don't know. I'm mixing up him and Calvin's. Um pull it up but yeah we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up here but yeah rob font's number five and so obviously tj's not even ranked right now everyone else is booked up seems like the fight to make I like T- tj gets a top five guy that makes it's fair i don't like tj you know that but it, it's fair and yeah but yeah the big fight, Cater Hall. Okay, so we, we got to wrap this up, and, w- and we'll leave it at this. What is the wager? Oh, all right. So I think the wager should be whomever loses the bet for the next two podcasts has to send the co-host either something to drink or something to eat, and and it has to be addressed to them in a in a cutesy message that is read on on air. Okay. Because, like, we all got to eat and we all got to drink. But I think that the fact that you have to write something <laughs> something out, like, <laughs> like you're, like, maybe a secret admirer or some weird shit, that I think that that's going to be – I think that can make it more enjoyable. Because, like, I have no problem, like, yo, here's some chicken fingers. But my love. This <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, I, I, I like that because it, it was something where I was curious if we were going to have to play at all into the fact of like the actual betting lines, but it's also not that, not that far off from even. So no, nah, yeah, yeah. I got, nah, I got I no problem with that. Yeah. I like to go wins and losses. I don't care how they do it. As long as it gets done, it, unless the judges screw it up. That's, that's a different conversation, but this was, we're quite right. And and given all that we've talked about with uh, everything that's gone on in the last week or so and, and all the, the real talk tonight, we only got one song to play us out tonight. Um, you know, I, I work hard coming up with what that song's going to be each and every week, but I think, I think uh, it's time to tap into 
Uh, you're quite right. And uh, well, I'm going to let that play us out. One question. What do women want? Wouldn't it be strange and wonderful if you were the one man on earth finally able to answer that question? When will we realize that this world wanna play us? They starting to realize that these cops truly hate us It's hard to get a job with a PhD No fucking weight that this government can pay me Black hoods and white hoods What's going on with white hoods and black hoods? They string us along Misery still holds in between the song Every day is different, but it's the same old dawn One people, no race, blood, no face, DNA the same White or black, no trace, even my white friends say I'm that nigga if you ever touch them, I swear I'll kill you. I smell the ashes of Maryland still burning. LA showed the world that this was an omen. We became less civilized than the Greeks and Romans. The American dream is a tainted slogan. You can have everything, but we need it first. If you ever get it, it's significantly worse. Do you think they would let you own part of Earth? You nothing but a nigger, and that's a right since birth. Pray until your hands swell up from the cramps. Maybe one day you'll be rewarded with stamps. Highest honor given to our black leaders. It's a concrete jungle, America full of cheaters. You gotta get that money, paper coming in stiff. The forbidden fruit should be eaten, not sniffed. The lack of money causes the most prolific rift. Hitchhiking to my dreams, I'm just looking for a lift. Beauty is deeper than what's seen through the eyes. Stevie Wonder in the biggest Christopher from Bed Stuy. Is it better to let sleeping hearts die or lie? Microphone too cold to ever let this kid fry I articulate the hate, hunger fills with an empty plate Looking past what's in front is the biggest mistake Frozen tendencies I'm forced to demonstrate Pouring this one for Nick the Great, gotta regulate I flip flows on egos, combat complete those Flawless victory, fatalities I eat those Drop hot shit like a park asteroid You can't kill what's been sent here to be destroyed Gotta teach the present cause that becomes the future Fucking the world so long they call me common Sutra, throwing game to games Been known the roof you, keep your hands on your drinks These rappers real roof you Disgusted by the same sing song and name flips I came to bring the pain like the king of anguish Barrel to your wisdom, we skip the kisslets It ain't that hard if it didn't come from kisslets D-block, one shot, the streets need that rock Crack like shells to propel the big clock When will we realize that this world wanna play us? They starting to realize that these cops truly hate us It's hard to get a job with the people no fucking weight that this government can pay me Black hoods and white hoods What's going on with white hoods and black hoods? They string us along Misery still holds in between the song Every day is different, but it's the same old dawn One people, no race, blood, no face, DNA the same White or black, no trace, even my white friends say I'm that nigga, if you ever touch them, I swear I'll kill you